What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Imad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. I'm Imad Khan of Tom's Guide. Earlier this month, it was reported that the U.S. Department of Justice opened an antitrust inquiry into the Overwatch League's soft salary cap. It's meant to be a pro-competitive measure to prevent the richest teams from buying up the best players. But the U.S. Department of Justice is more concerned about this system where there's not an active players union present to represent the players' interests. Joining me today to break this all down is Dot Esports' investigative lead, Jacob Wolf, who broke the story. Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me as always. So Jacob, before we get into this inquiry, let's actually rewind the tape and go back to the formation of the Overwatch League. So how did the league come up with this $1.6 million salary cap? Right. So the it's really important context to understand what this league set out to be from the very beginning. And I think if you go back to 2016 when they originally announced it at that BlizzCon in 2017 as they're forming the league and recruiting all the buyers and going to do all their sales pitches to some of the biggest and wealthiest people in the world. This was meant to be and is meant to be sort of the traditional sports rendition of esports. It is modeled that way. Some of the people who built it are that way. Uh, you know, for a long time, the president of Activision Blizzard and eventually the, uh, or Activision Blizzard Esports, sorry. Um, and uh, at one point, the commissioner of the Overwatch League was Pete Flastelica, whose job before he worked at Activision Blizzard was working on Fox Sports. Pete was actively involved sort of in the early time of this. Um, and Bobby Kotick himself, the, the CEO of Activision Blizzard, has always had sports in, in, or aspirations. I sp I've spoken to him about this before. And uh, he actually, the kind of the idea of esports being a thing for, say, the Kraft family, who owned the Boston Uprising, came from the two of them watching a AFC playoff game uh, between the Patriots and the Chiefs um, and talking about sort of what they were working on. And Bobby mentioned esports, kind of the rest is the history. They're now part of the league. If you look at the initial ownership group, a lot of these people have sort of traditional sports ties. You have the uh, Kroenke family, who are the owners of a bunch of different sports teams, including the NFL's uh, Los Angeles Rams and the Denver Nuggets in the NBA, the Colorado Avalanche hockey team in the NHL, uh, et cetera. Um, you have the Kraft family who own uh, the New England Revolution in the MLS and the New England Patriots in the NFL. The And there are various others like Comcast who own uh, the Philadelphia Flyers the hockey team in the NHL. So truly this is supposed to be like kind of the non-endemic investor uh, traditional sports model of esports. Right. So a salary cap from the beginning kind of makes a lot of sense, right? It's a very common practice in the NFL. It's a very common practice in the NBA, the NHL, the MLS, so on and so forth. Um, but key in what you said in your intro is there is a missing sort of uh there is a missing player union which is technically what is supposed to exist if you have a, a salary mm -hmm. cap um so the salary cap itself it's as i understood it in the first season uh i think it was right around 1.5 million dollars it's increased i think by half a million dollars uh year or sorry uh it's increased by uh fifty thousand dollars year over year um mm. so it was 1.5 five five i think in season two 1.6 last year and i'm not sure the exact figure this season but i believe it's 1.65 um if if i am correct uh so the salary cap is soft quote unquote and what that means is it's not like you can 
not spend more than it. You actually can. And to right. explain the way that works is, you know, Overwatch rosters tend to be anywhere from six to 10 players usually, some of them bigger than that, uh, but that's generally consensus, six to 10 players on your team. Um, between your entire roster, you are not meant to spend more than 1.6 million last year, 1.65 this year, uh, between all of their salaries. <laughs> and if you do, you have, for every dollar you spend over that, you essentially have to pay double. So you have to pay the actual player the salary, right? So you're paying it the first time. And then you have to pay the league, which for a pool that will be distributed among the teams, you have to pay the league an additional dollar for each dollar spent over right. the, in this case, 1.65 million. Um, where that gets a little murky, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, is sort of labor law, antitrust in the U.S., which is why the Department of Justice is opening inquiry in this. But the idea itself is, in isolation, makes a lot of sense considering who you're dealing with. You know, the fact that there is so much traditional sports overlap. Um, I'm not commenting like on, on whether it should exist or not, but yeah, it, it makes sense why it's there in the first place. And then where does the Department of Justice fit into all of this? I mean, it, what is the problem with having a player cap without a player's union present? The Department of Justice would argue, um, and antitrust law in general would argue, that you are not able to cap someone's ability to earn without giving them a voice in the conversation. Right, so right, right. there is sort of the defining antitrust law is the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. Uh, it's been a long time since that, yes. <laughs> that law was, was uh, enacted uh, here in America, but it is kind of the defining piece of antitrust law. Um, it's been used to break down people like Carnegie and Rockefeller, kind of, you know, robber barons, basically a big monopolist. Um, and it's there is slowly more and more ideas of modifying it now in, in uh, modern time uh, to fit big tech companies like Facebook and Google and Amazon uh Etc. Um, you know, Microsoft has also had a very big landmark antitrust case um, in uh, about twenty years ago, twenty plus years ago. Yeah, yeah um, I believe it was like two thousand one, right? Yeah, I think it's the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, if memory serves me correctly, and um, you know, you see a huge interest in antitrust right now uh, with the change of administrations. Joe Biden's administration coming into office earlier this year you have seen a lot of people uh, start tooting the horn. And it feels like it was always going to happen if there was a swing towards uh, Democrat-elected, or uh, Democrat officials, sorry. Um, but it was, it. so it, it kind of makes sense. So, yeah, Amy mm -hmm. Klobuchar and uh, David Cicilline of their respective House parties, uh, the Senate and the House, have been very vocal about antitrust. They did antitrust investigations the past few years into sort of big companies. Um, and actually recently, Lena Khan uh, was confirmed uh, close to unanimous, unanimously as the head of the Federal Trade Commission. Um, and she is a noted antitrust scholar who's very uh anti-amazon in terms of antitrust um so antitrust interest is a big thing uh there was a, spe or a specific part of the department of justice antitrust division called the cctf which we mentioned um civil conduct task force that was created earlier this year um after the biden administration took office and it was kind of focused on these 
special investigations, so things that are a little bit abnormal that don't necessarily fall under the normal purview. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense why esports falls into that. Um, so uh, I'm not sure how they originally were tipped off about this. You know, there were public tweets a few years ago by Susie Kim, uh, then the GM of the London Spitfire, talking about the soft salary cap. Richard Lewis did some reporting for Dick Sardo in it in 2019, I believe, around a memo that the the competitive balance tax, which is what uh, Activision Blizzard calls it, um, being mentioned in a memo. So, like, there was some information out there about this right. before, not as much as I think we've reported in the past few weeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, th- earlier this year, there, uh, as I understand it, the there are a few prosecutor or not prosecutors, sorry, a few civil conduct lawyers um, who could refer it, uh, but have not yet referred it um, to criminal prosecution, uh, who started digging into uh, the Overwatch League and just esports as a whole with particular interest in the Overwatch League uh, because of this competitive balance tax. Um, and from that perspective, their argument would be that uh, it's limiting the amount of money that players can make. Hmm. You, you, you I, I noticed a bit of surprise in your voice when you said that uh, you're about how the Department of Justice was able to come upon the Overwatch League's uh, you know, soft salary cap. Why do you feel that? Why, why do you have some surprise? I think it's because antitrust law is generally seen as quite boring. Um, okay. I think that a lot of people, I mean, it's not like a major focus in terms of legal proceedings uh, or hasn't been. I, I'm not surprised that there's an expansion of it with everything I just said about, you know, sort of the change uh, to Democratic mm-hmm, led mm-hmm. Senate, House and President, that there's particular interest in antitrust in a way that there's not been uh before or at least recently, anytime recently, um, you know, and you think the government is rightfully so this very out of touch old institution that really struggles to to deal with. I mean, hell, they're struggling to deal with the big tech companies who have been around for a while and behaving in these anti-competitive ways quite for quite some time. Um, right. So it it did strike me as odd. The initial tip that I got during the reporting process was that there was a government body investigating the Overwatch League. And I will tell you, my mind did not immediately go to antitrust in terms of my gut. My mind went to securities or other things that would make a little bit more sense, like the SEC or something like that. Um, It wasn't that. It was was the antitrust department of the Department of Justice. Um, And uh, yeah, so I I was kind of taken aback by kind of who it was. And the more and more I dug, more information I got. Um, It seems like they... uh, have a pretty pretty good case for themselves uh we'll kind of see how it moves from here it could go nowhere but you know uh, it's uh i think it's going to be hard for activision blizzard to argue uh in its favor i mean one observation that i have at, at the very least with uh the incoming by or i guess incoming is the incorrect word but with the biden administration especially compared to the trump administration is that while there was maybe a lot of talk from the trump administration it seems that the biden administration has been a lot quieter but has also been very proactive in bringing on fresh and young talent. I mean, Lena Khan is obviously being the, the the largest example of this, but I can only surmise by that Lena Khan is just, you know, the beginning, like throughout this entire process, while Biden has been um, helping staff up the Department of Justice or his administration has been helped, or I'm, I'm getting a little uh, mixed up here, but regardless, the tentacles of this new government, how and the way it's been bringing in new talent, it might be bringing in 
this younger talent that is more aware of how newer entities practice. Um, have you gotten any tips as to the types of people within the Department of Justice that are looking into this? Yeah, so as I understand, the lead investigator on this case is a, a woman named Kathleen Simpson Kiernan. She's worked for the Department of Justice for a few years, including under the Trump administration, um, but was moved into that newly created CCTF uh, antitrust subdivision uh, earlier this year after the appointment of or after the election of Joe Biden and his administration coming into office in January. Um, she seems uh, quite experienced, but also not. Uh, not to the point where like she's super out of touch. I, I'm not sure how old she is, but I, I would guess somewhere in the mid 40s um, range based off her level of experience. Um, she and before she was in government practice, she worked for uh, Boyce Schiller Flexner, which uh, many people know David Boyce uh, for a lot of different things, um, including the representation of Elizabeth Holmes, uh, the founder of Theranos and Harvey Weinstein. Um, but uh his firm also and him he was involved in the microsoft antitrust uh prosecution uh prosecution he worked for the government actually uh in that case and so she has had some pretty powerful um and successful uh mentors in that case and and colleagues in that case um and then uh more recently heard there was another civil attorney on her team named Micah Stein and Micah works in the digital markets part of the antitrust division of the Department of mm -hmm. Justice um so you know kind of adjacent um as well so yeah I, I think you're right I think your observation is right you know I've heard the kind of the statement from a lot of different reporters that Biden wants to make the government uh look like America both in terms of age and race and ethnicity and gender, right? A much more diverse government rather than a bunch of white dudes, uh, frankly. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think you kind of see that here. These are people who are younger coming into power, but also, like Lena Khan, quite intelligent. Well, actually, in regards to um, Kathleen Simpson Kiernan, she actually graduated from high school in 2004, and she finished college in 2008, so she's probably around 34, 35 years old. I would say that's really, really young. I mean, um, and she's been in the Department of Justice for six years based on her LinkedIn profile. Yeah, she's so she did serve under Trump. I knew she had served under Trump, but yeah, she she is young and aggressive. Well, both Obama understand. and Trump. Yeah. So that's uh, her her resume is uh, kind of speaks for itself, though, same with what she did before she was in the DOJ. So I uh, it's interesting to hear. I've heard she's done a fair amount of interviews with people around the esports space, um, some of them who have spoken to um, clearly. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to kind of see where this will go. I, I, I don't know if it will go anywhere, but the fact that they're probing and they've let Activision Blizzard know they're probing is particularly interesting. What I also find kind of surprising through all of this is that I, while I haven't seen the contracts that are required to, let's say, for example, get into the Overwatch League, I have heard that the process is very, very extensive. It costs tens of thousands of dollars just in legal fees alone. That's why it's a little surprising that the Overwatch League could institute some kind of soft salary cap without considering that, hey, there might be some legal repercussion that uh, we're going through this without having some kind of players union. Yeah, I, you know, you can't, I've heard a lot of discussion around this. So you think about, there's not really a players union that exists in esports at all. There is the Counter-Strike Professional Players Association and mm -hmm. there is the LCS Players Association, neither are registered unions. 
CSPPA has actually been in some incredibly murky water because it it a lot of people would argue it's an agency collectively reps players and hmm. it's also like asked for stipends from certain leagues that feel maybe potentially unfair um and the lcspa at the beginning and this is what i've, I've seen a few people argue the L- lcspa is uh was founded by riot games which is kind of controversial within itself um and now it's independent this year for the first time riots defunded it um and they're kind of running off money that they have left over from riot um but you know it's not i i don't think that's the right move either if you're activision blizzard i think the argument would be you should have just never had a salary cap in the first place Hmm. yeah well and you know with all of this i mean what what does this ultimately mean for the overwatch league going forward do you think it'll essentially be forced to create a players union or allow a players union and then if it does i mean how will that ripple across the entire esports industry yeah in my opinion this can go kind of uh a few different ways i think that it can either go nowhere and the department of justice drops it which seems unlikely but maybe you know anything could kind of happen they could feel that it's not worth their time trying to bring any action. It could amount to a civil lawsuit against Activision Blizzard um, or whatever the Overwatch League's entity name is. I believe it's a separate entity technically uh, owned by by Activision Blizzard. Um, It could, uh, and that could include teams, by the way, as as, um, defendants in that case. Um, It could be referred to, uh, could be referred for a criminal prosecution, um, that seems kind of unlikely based off the kind of people that are dealing with it right now. Everyone at the DOJ who's investigating this are not criminal prosecutors, they're civil attorneys um, mm-hmm. uh, who are kind of digging. Um, and then, uh, or it could, or they could come to some sort of like settlement basically where where the Overwatch League and Activision Blizzard pay a fine and there's something that changes, which in my case, I, I'm like more likely to believe that the salary cap gets eliminated than they are forced to create a players union. Um, because I think especially the government would not see value um, in forcing a player union because then it's going to be ran by the same people, <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> going to kind of be forced by, uh, by the same people who it's negotiating against or supposed to negotiate against. So I think it's more just likely that, that if they were to settle, um, it would be get rid of the salary cap. And I also just think that uh, the, the Players Association would have to come from players who are experienced uh, in quite like professional dealings and business and everything else. It would have to really be a player-led mu- movement. There are a handful of ex-players, I think, kind of fall into that category. Um, some of them in, currently employees of teams. I'm thinking people like Jake, uh, who's a player coach for the Outlaws um, and has been a commentator and was a you know, quite a very very well regarded player in terms of his ability to speak publicly and sort of way he conducted himself professionally sure yes. um but you know I, I don't see a world where he like gives up his lucrative ability to kind of start a player's movement and or you know it, it would take a lot and i just don't think that overwatch as a game is ready for that in a way that maybe counter-strike is um or counter-strike was before the csppa sprung up um so yeah, and and also just one thing to point out on that front, I I actually there are downsides to having a players union too. I am generally pro union as as a person, um, but I will say that it would hurt most likely. It would hurt the high earning players in favors of helping the low earning players um, in the league 
And I'm yeah. not necessarily sure that the highest earning players in the league would necessarily want to hurt their bottom lines, right? Like that's what you'd have to be able to convince them that, that it's for the greater good that they're hurting their own pockets. Um, and, you know, it, it, cause there would be, I mean, there probably would be a harder salary cap if there was a player union to negotiate against it. Um, and they would have some say, but at the same time, you know, could become a thing. Some salary caps are determined based off of revenues, um, which would be a total mess. Uh, the, <laughs> the Everwatch League has very significant revenue problems. I feel like that's fairly well known that they don't make make much money um, as a league. So, like, if you know we're doing multiples of revenues and they make nothing, how are you going? You know, how are you going to determine the salary cap? Um, or if they make very little, it, mm-hmm. it there's a lot of ways this could go wrong with a players' union. Uh, I think it's just more likely that they just you know, get rid of the cap. Well, you know, former Dallas Fuel uh, player Brandon Siegel-Larn has spoken about, you know, the need of a players association at the very least, rather than a union. But another thing that I've also been curious about, if a players union were to be formed, how would that necessarily work with international players, right? Those based in South Korea or China. And I mean, well, because I assume that laws apply differently for international teams, right? Yes, that's actually interesting. I did not hear of any international teams getting notice of. Hmm. So I I believe all the American teams were received notice that the Department of Justice was investigating this. I see. Um, I see. And then Activision Blizzard notified them to not destroy evidence. We we said that in our story, which is pretty common, by the way. Like it was basically like, don't if you have any, you know, if they want to subpoena any records or anything, if this moves into a lawsuit, um, don't destroy it because that could get you charged <laughs> with a crime um for obstructing a, a investigation there's actually a there is a law against doing that um mm-hmm. and you could be prosecuted for it but yeah so i but i didn't hear of any of the international teams being notified um the canadian teams the the, the british team and the the asian teams of china and south korea um because is it a jurisdiction it, issue then? I believe it is. Yeah, that's mm. right. Um, because uh, they're not American teams, and they're not. Uh, some of them are American corporations, um, but uh, that was mostly for the purpose of being able to, like, when the Overwatch League was solely out of Los Angeles, being able to rent apartments and facilities in LA, et cetera. Right? Not, uh, yeah. not for the actual employment. Because if you're employing, in the case of like the Seoul Dynasty or the Shanghai Dragons, if you're employing players who are from that part of the world and your corporate base is based in that part of the world. Why the hell would you be an American organization? Right. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I believe it is a jurisdiction issue. And, and I actually think that's one thing that through all of this is going to be quite difficult to wrestle with. You know, the league itself is based in the U S so it falls under U S law. It, you know, if, if anything proceeded, I could see it being a real problem, but for the teams itself, actually it's, it's, particularly difficult because they are kind of spread out all over the world and they fall under British jurisdiction, Chinese jurisdiction, South Korean jurisdiction, and Canadian jurisdiction in this case. So, Mm. Well, with that, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to ftwahmad.com. To follow Jacob and the work he's doing over at Dot Esports, you can find him at Jacob Wolf on Twitter. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Ahmad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Henrique Demour and Jacob Wolf. Executive producers are Kevin Morris and Thomas Tischio. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.